If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, this today is an episode you want to listen to. We are going to be speaking with Rachel Spears and Michelle Johnson about how to work with pro bono attorneys. Before I introduce them, let me just remind you that 2021 is the year that successful nonprofits has exploded with webinars. So make sure you go to our website. As usual, we're recording this about three months in advance. So we don't yet know what webinars we're going to be offering in July and August. But make sure you go to our website, check out the webinars. It will probably be around board recruitment or leadership transitions or something like that. And you can register. All of our webinars are free. Now, let me introduce to you, really reintroduce to you, Rachel Spears, and introduce to you, Michelle Johnson. Rachel has been on the podcast before. She was on episode 40, and she helped us learn how nonprofits can find pro bono legal counsel. So we covered that topic, and now it's time for us to take the next step. Because, you know, almost all nonprofits at some point need legal counsel. Maybe they want to amend their bylaws. Maybe they received a letter from the Department of Labor or from some other regulatory body, and they need some help responding to that. Now, oftentimes when nonprofits find themselves needing legal resources, they can't actually afford to pay a private attorney. Some of that is, frankly, because they're smaller. Other times, though, it's because, you know, they're looking at their budget, they've already created their budget for the year, and it's just not budgeted. And so what they do is they go out and they find a pro bono attorney. This is one of the amazing things about the legal profession. Pro bono work, which is essentially volunteer professional work, is baked into the DNA of the legal profession. And the vast majority of lawyers do pro bono work of one type or another. So I'll share with you, as an executive director, I worked with pro bono attorneys, and as a consultant, I have, offered, I have often partnered with them in serving the very same client. And so over the last 
20 or so years, I have had the pleasure of working with amazing, dedicated volunteer attorneys who are helping to make their communities and the world a better place. And so today, Michelle and Rachel are going to help us learn how we, as nonprofit professionals, can best work with pro bono attorneys. Michelle is an attorney with Nelson Mullins Riley and Scarborough. And let me tell you, she does one of the most important types of law for a lot of nonprofit executives, and that's employment law. Those Fair Labor Standard Act issues, those EEOC issues, etc. She does labor law, and she does it well. And let me also share with you that in addition to being a labor attorney, she is a dedicated pro bono attorney. She has been doing pro bono work throughout her legal career and has a huge feather in her cap. In the Atlanta region, she was the pro bono volunteer of the year as awarded by Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta in 2013. But you know, like a lot of great, really a lot of great leaders, she got that feather in her cap and she kept on doing the same thing. She is still providing pro bono counsel to nonprofits in the Atlanta area in addition to her paid work. Now, Rachel Spears started at one of the big firms in Atlanta and then became the founding executive director of Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta. This is, without a doubt, one of the most important institutions serving nonprofits in the Atlanta region. The organization's about 15, 16 years old now, and they've had a huge impact. Believe it or not, they have served 950 nonprofits, and they have provided over 3,000 pro bono attorneys to those 950 nonprofits. So if there are two individuals that really know how we as nonprofits should be working with pro bono attorneys, it's Michelle and Rachel. So, hey, Rachel, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I know before we hit record, we were kind of brainstorming some things that maybe nonprofits should be doing. And why don't we start with just thanking your pro bono attorney. Talk about that. Yeah, Dolph, this is extremely important. Um, When we match our clients with a volunteer attorney, we tell them, you know, everything's free. We're not asking you to do anything except thank your volunteer. It's so important. Um, It really motivates our volunteers. It gets them to volunteer that next time. I know when I was in private practice, that's what really motivated me. I You know, lawyers go to law school wanting to help people, wanting to make a difference. And a lot of times when you get into your career, one of the ways you get feel a little bit disconnected from that, but you can find that in pro bono work. And um, if you take the time to give a really good, meaningful thank you to your volunteer, that it's going to motivate them to keep keep going. And I think you shared with me a story about a way that a few clients really took thank you to a whole new level. Yeah, when I um, was at a firm, I did adoptions for grandparents caring for their grandchildren when the parents were unavailable. And I helped one set of grandparents with a series of adoptions. I think it was three adoptions over the course of a year or two of separate grandchildren. And at each adoption hearing, when we finalized it, they brought a homemade red velvet cake to thank me. And here, 20 years later, it still makes me smile. It was so meaningful for me. And I I didn't take that subsequent adoptions because of the red velvet cake, but 
but it certainly kept me excited about the work I was doing. That's awesome. Michelle, what about you? Like, what's the best way a pro bono client has said thank you to you? I love it when they send me a, a handwritten note with a stamp uh, with, in the mail. That is, is really meaningful to me because it's so easy to send an email to you, and that is appreciated. But the, the handwritten letter on the, on the nonprofit stationery really means a lot to me. I save all of them. And is it typically like more powerful for you if it's the chief executive or the board chair? Or, or what are some of the most powerful notes you get? Like, who are they from? Typically, they are from the person I worked with, which tends to be the, the director of the organization. And uh, what is meaningful to me is when they tell me how what I did was important to them and how I solved a problem or I made them feel at peace. And for me, that that is very important. It's really important to know that what I did meant something to them, that it mattered. Hmm. Hmm. And and I do think so often we're stumped about how to write a thank you letter. So I'm glad that you kind of shared, oh, you know, make sure that you talk about why it was important and why it mattered and how it made a difference. Yeah, that I mean, that that really means a lot to me when I when I know that they they took my advice and, and did what I told them to do. And then after it was all done, then they, they thought about it and then thought about me a second time and, and sent me that that thanks. Just as a quick aside, talking about thank you letters, this just hit my mind. And I'm always kind of baffled by this. The number one visited blog post on my website is how to write a thank you letter to an outgoing board member. It was, yeah, it was, yes. And I know I'm, looking, I'm getting a couple looks there. Believe it or not, um, that one page was visited over 19,000 times last year because we're stumped by how to write a thank you letter. So I'm just, I'm really glad that you kind of gave some fo- gave our folks some thoughts about some things to include in the letter. Like, you know, because to me, while I, I know sometimes the barrier is just starting to get pen to paper and start to write it, but it's it's really not rocket science. You know, it really is just, hey, you know, you say thank you. And then why was this important? How did it make a difference? How was this outstanding for you? That, that's exactly right. The thank you notes that I get that say that are are really important to me. One of the other things I know we talked about is recognizing your pro bono attorney beyond just a thank you note. And Rachel, I, I know you had a couple thoughts about that. Yeah, we um, match a lot of uh, nonprofits with volunteer attorneys, and we um, do hear about some of the ways they thank them. We have clients that will send a T-shirt, you know, or a little token um, of appreciation. And I do think those are meaningful to people. Um cookies, you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to send anything. It doesn't have to be a big deal if you do, but it, it is meaningful, I must say. Michelle, are there any ways that you've been recognized beyond a thank you note? And obviously, Pro Bono Partnership, you know, recognized you as the Pro Bono um, Attorney of 2013, but that's kind of one legal group recognizing a colleague. Have there been any organizations or individuals that have gone one step further to recognize you? Well, I remember one client sent me tickets to their annual fundraiser, the you know their their annual uh, celebration dinner, and and I thought that was really meaningful because uh, you know it was nice to know that that they thought about me after we were done, and they invited me to be with them for their you know their annual gala. And part of what I love about that is 
obviously it's mission reinforcing, so it's pulling you further into the mission, but also it doesn't cost them a lot. You know, the catering cost on that's probably 50 bucks. So they send you two tickets, it costs them $100 for, frankly, legal work that's worth thousands of dollars. And I never go to one of those galas and don't buy a bunch of stuff and, and bid on <laughs> this is This is also true. I was trying really hard not to say that, but I'm glad you said that. One of the other things, and Rachel, I think you and I maybe talked about this a little bit, is maybe also um, writing like a letter to the managing partner. Yeah, I especially if you work through an organization like uh, us, Pro Bono Partnership, that matches you with a volunteer attorney. Um Send us a copy of that thank you letter, or if you don't work through somebody like us, send it to somebody else at the firm, because um, what we do when we get that is we often send it to the managing partner of the law firm, if they're at a law firm, or somebody we know there, because we want to brag on them, and that can help um, them in their career if they're getting noticed, especially one of these meaningful thank you letters about how you help their, or how you're incredible legal work, help that organization fulfill its mission, that can have a real impact on the volunteer as well. And also really supports that volunteer's career. Absolutely. In, in addition to recognizing and thanking, thanking pro bono volunteers, I know we also, before we hit record, had a little bit of a conversation of actually getting the work done, some things that nonprofits need to be doing. And um, I know one of the things I've often had volunteer attorneys when I first start working with them say is, hey, make sure that the nonprofit is following up quickly. Yeah, one of the biggest issues we have with clients, nonprofits, it's them not being responsive. Um, That's both to us and to the volunteer attorneys. It's one of the few ways you can get fired by us as a client is if you're not responsive. Um, We don't want to have the volunteer having to chase you down. So if you need something and the volunteer sends you an email or calls you, reply. You know, even if you are slammed at that moment, um, reply and say, I'm slammed at this moment, but I'll follow up next week. Or if you get something, the attorney sends you something and maybe it's not quite what you wanted and you just don't have time to deal with it, reply, you know, have a conversation, um, take the time. Don't just, you know, go radio silent. I, I find that for some reason that's people's solution when they don't know how to handle something. Um, certainly, if you're working through an organization like ours, um, you know, we can help with communication, but you really need to take responsibility for being responsive to anybody that's trying to help you. That's incredibly frustrating. I would also imagine, like on regulatory matters, when there's a, or litigation, when there's a deadline to respond by, you know, you're putting your attorney in a bad spot if you delay by even a few days. Well, that, right. That's absolutely true. Um, it, <laughs> when that happens to me, as Rachel said, it's so frustrating because you have a deadline. The court isn't going to wait. And and, it, and it's so important to to be responsive, as, as Rachel said. And And so I know one of the other things we also talked about, and Michelle, I know you've had some situations where you've had to deal with this, is when you have a pro bono attorney, although probably if you have a paid attorney too, to just be completely upfront about whatever the issue is. That is is really, really important to me. I know um, when I meet a client for the first time, uh, we don't know each other well, and sometimes they don't want to tell me everything on the front end, but as quickly as they can get comfortable and and just let me know, lay it out for me, you know, tell me everything. 
I'm their attorney. It's confidential. And I have seen everything. They're not going to tell me something I haven't heard. But if they don't tell me the truth or they're not forthcoming about the problem that they're having, it's so much harder, harder for me to, you know, to help them. Michelle, if you had like a specific situation you could kind of share where perhaps um, a client was not fully forthright, whether it was a wage claim or something else, and how that impacted your ability to serve the client? Well, the, the problem, one problem I'm thinking of in particular was a, a Fair Labor Standards Act case I had where the client had not paid overtime that was owed. And the first time I talked to them, they didn't admit to me that they knew that the employee had actually worked for hours that they hadn't been paid for. And it made it a lot harder for me because the employee knew how much they worked and the client knew how much they worked. And the only person who didn't know was me. And I was the one who had to try to help them through that. And so it really made it a lot harder for me to help them reach a resolution because I didn't have all the information that I needed. And how did you resolve that with that client? Well, I just told them that, I mean, it happened. And when I finally did realize when I had all of the facts, then we worked it out at that point, but it took longer and it was harder. And we lost a lot of credibility with the other side because they, as I said, everyone knew but me. And I was the one who was trying to negotiate. Wow. Oh my gosh. That had to, that just had to feel really bad to think like I'm volunteering my time and I kind of feel like I'm spinning. Yeah, yeah. That's And if you can avoid that, I mean, again, your attorney has heard everything. It's You're not going to shock them. And, you know, and they're on your side. That's why they're working for you. That's why they're doing this work for free, because they want to help. And also, I, I would imagine I might be about to get myself in trouble. I'm talking to attorneys right now and about to make this comparison. But it's probably kind of like talking to a priest or a therapist and that not only have you already heard everything before from a client, but you know, you've got attorney client privilege the same way you have confidentiality with a priest or a therapist. Right. That's exactly right. Nothing that they say to me is ever going to leave the room and anything that they want to be kept confidential is going to stay that way. And, and so it almost becomes like a safe space. Like I bet once people start to trust you, they might overshare a little bit. Gosh, <laughs> they do. They do. And it's fine. I mean, I'm glad when we establish a rapport, I'm glad that they feel comfortable telling me things. But they, yeah, once once they're comfortable, then it becomes so much easier. And so in terms of your pro bono nonprofit clients, so maybe not your pro bono individual clients, but your pro bono nonprofit clients, how do you feel like if the person you're working with was the chief executive or someone else, like, how do you feel if they're like linking up with you on Facebook or something like that? I, I link with them on LinkedIn typically. Um, I, you know, I enjoy having the connection. I enjoy knowing what's going on in their careers because I get those notifications every day, like everybody does. Uh, I don't tend to friend them on Facebook unless there's a personal connection. And I have some clients who have become my friends. And so I do, you know, I do link with them on Facebook. Um, Although that's the thing, Rachel and I, you know, our kids don't use it anymore because it's, it's all people like us, but, but that's, that, that is the, uh, you know, that, that is the, the um, separation that I typically make is, is having a lot more LinkedIn connections 
then I actually have Facebook friends. And Rachel, is that kind of your experience with pro bono attorneys that maybe it's best if you want to connect with them on social media to do it on LinkedIn? Yeah, attorneys definitely use LinkedIn and that's a great way to connect. When the project is over, because I do think most pro bono attorneys, they're not providing general counsel. You know, the vast majority of pro bono attorneys sign on for a finite project. When the project is over, what what level of ongoing communication is it okay or even good for a client to have with that attorney? Thanks for bringing that up, Dolph, because if you're working through an organization like Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta, and we have matched you with a volunteer attorney, they have taken on that one project typically. And once that project is done, their job is done. If you have legal issues that come up in the future, you need to come back to Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta or a similar organization, and they will find you a volunteer attorney. Sometimes you may end up with the same volunteer if it's a similar legal issue, but it's very important that you go back through that channel that you started with. Let me ask you, though, like if and actually, this is the perfect example, because, Rachel, I actually think you're on my New Year's card list. And um, I I want you to feel special because you are special, but I also send, like, literally a few hundred New Year's cards. I just, it's my thing. I do a lot of New Year's cards. So is it okay to, like, keep that attorney, even though you're not going to have an ongoing client-attorney relationship with them, is it okay to send them a New Year's card or a holiday card if you do that? Like, those types of things are okay? Absolutely. Those informal, just staying in touch communications, I think are fine. What do you think, Michelle? Oh, I think so too. And I appreciate it when I get a holiday card or a New Year's card, or I remember um, one client sent me at the end of their year, they said, here is our, you know, our prospectus for the year. And they did kind of a summary that they give to everyone. And they sent one to me and it, it, it meant something. I was, I was glad to get it. I was interested. Hmm. What I would be careful about, Dolph, is Sending your volunteer a solicitation, fundraising solicitation as your <laughs> source of communication. I, I would, I would focus more on informational kind of staying in touch. Yeah, I, I kind of get that, Michelle. Do, do you ever have organizations you've served pro bono and then they put you on the fundraising list? Not very often. Um, occasionally, and when they do, I. I really don't appreciate it. So I, I do like when they reach out to me to tell me how they're doing or to thank me or to send me a holiday card, something like that. But yeah, when I get the solicitation, that that is kind of uncomfortable for me. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit crass. It's almost like you've you've not said, oh, make sure I know about your garlic because I want to buy a ticket. <laughs> well, and, and I have so many clients, so many uh, pro bono projects I've done with Rachel that I just can't. Um, I, I can't go to everybody's fundraiser. Rachel, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, yeah, it just it feels kind of icky. I think for an organization to say, "Hey, thanks for the service. Now we're going to solicit you," kind of like the alumni association. We're just going to follow you from firm to firm until we can't find you anymore. Are there other thoughts about ways that pro bono clients should be either cultivating that relationship or making sure they're treating that relationship well? I think the important thing is during the relationship, during the project to, um, if you want the help, then stay in touch and then follow the advice that you're given. Um, That's one thing that can be frustrating is when I tell someone, you know, I've, I've seen this issue before because there's only so many issues in the world. A lot of them happen again and again. And here's what you need to do to make this better. And then when they, they listen to me and they're very nice about it and then go and do something else. You know, that 
to me, that kind of defeats the purpose of having me. Yeah. And then do they ever come back to you and say, oops, I made it worse or no? Yeah, occasionally, yeah, they do come like, oh, we should have done what you said. Well, next time. And, you know, and that it, that happened. That happens with my paying clients. I mean, that that's just the way people are sometimes. Yeah. So do, do you ever feel like clients can over ask about that? And, you know, so, so for example, if they really think, well, no, we should do B instead of A, is it okay for them to come back to you and say, we're really struggling. We know you said A, um, but we really want to do B. Can you please walk through this with us? Is that an okay thing to do? It's fine with me. I know that pro bono partnership is, is very good about this is the project. And if it's something else, then we need to open a new matter. But I'm, I'm happy if the client comes back to me and they said, I know you told us to do this and we didn't. And now we want you to help us because now we, we've seen the light. We, we really need your assistance with this. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, Dolph, if I can add, I mean, there are times when the lawyer gets the advice and then the client needs to make a decision and they may make a decision, you know, realizing all the risk and may decide to take a course that might not have been the advice of the attorney, but a, a course to take. That's one thing. But um, after that, attorney invests a lot of time in the organization for them to just completely ignore the advice and do it anyway is really frustrating for everybody involved. So I think if a client gets advice from an attorney and um, has questions or doubts, it's totally appropriate in the course of that you know, representation to ask and ask follow-up questions, like get your questions answered and then ultimately make a decision. Um, but don't just completely waste their time. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I do try to let the clients know when there's a decision to be made, you know, you can do A or B. Here's the risk if you do A. Here's the risk if you do B. I recommend A. But if, I mean, if there's a decision to be made, then I, I really try to say, if this is up to you, this is your business, you know, you decide. And, and then if, if you have some difficulty after that, then let me know and, and we'll work through it. Nice. And that, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I know we are rapidly running out of time and I've got to make sure I ask an off the map question. And this off the map question is, well, it's kind of next to the map. It might actually be on the edge of the map. And so for each of you, for Rachel and for you, Michelle, what has all that we've been through over the last 18 months, what has that helped teach you or inform you about pro bono volunteering? Well, one thing that came to mind over the last year and a half is how important pro bono attorneys are because my nonprofits, they're small, they're you know, they're not all that well-funded. They don't have a budget to pay for legal work, typically not, not for extensive legal work. And then with the pandemic, you know, the world turned upside down and my clients all of a sudden had all these new legal problems they, they never thought about before. And they didn't have, you know, they couldn't afford to pay an attorney. And so they needed a place like Pro Bono Partnership where they could reach out out and say, here is our need. And then PBPA was able to connect them with volunteer attorneys. And I've worked with at least six people at my firm who had never done employment work. And I've, you know, and I've helped teach them and, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of walk through with them 
because there has been so much need and, and need in so many new areas that none of us learned about in law school. They're literally, we're learning at the same time as the clients. Hmm. Gosh, that that is so true. I think in so many ways over the last 18 months, I've thought, well, this is completely uncharted territory. None of us have ever been here before. How about you, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, there has been so much need. It's incredible. We were talking earlier about the demand for our legal services is just way up. And it's not something that surprised me in the past year, but because I knew it before, but it continues to impact me is just seeing the volunteers step up because um, they are going through all the uncertainty and challenges of this pandemic as well. And for them to continue to volunteer their time to help others, to want to help others in need is just really keeps me motivated. That's awesome. Well, Michelle, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm grateful that you've helped me and also our listeners learn how we can be better clients of pro bono attorneys. And listeners, you know, I got to make sure you know how to get in touch with Rachel Spears and also share some details about Michelle Johnson. So Rachel Spears, who's the executive director of Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta, you can check out their website at pbpatl.org. Now, there are three reasons why you might want to visit their website. The first is you are an Atlanta area nonprofit that might be eligible for free legal services. The second is you are an attorney who's in the area and you really want to volunteer. You just heard Rachel say the needs right now are incredibly high. There's a need for more pro bono volunteers. And then the third is regardless of where you are, whether you're in Topeka or San Francisco or Maine. I know Maine's not a city, it's a state, but, or Maine. You can get some really great legal resources. They've actually got a tab for that at their website. Additionally, if you're thinking, huh, pro bono partnership, this is really cool. I wonder if there's one in my area. Well, at our show notes, we're going to post a link to pretty much all of the pro bono organizations throughout the country. There might be one in your area. Now, if you want to find out more about Michelle Johnson's firm, Nelson Mullins. Their URL is nelsonmullins.com. While you are there, there's a couple of things I want you to be aware of. The first is make sure that you check out some of the free information they have, blog posts, white papers, etc., that can help nonprofits solve some of their business problems. Also, if you are an organization that does have a legal budget and you're looking to pay for legal services, hey, make sure you check out Nelson Mullins. They would be a great place for you to start that search for a paid attorney. And the other thing I just got to make sure you know, Michelle's profile is on their website and you can contact her directly from there. But if what you're looking for is pro bono assistance, please reach out to Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta or your local pro bono organization. I really think that would be the best place to start. So listeners, before we sign off, there's two episodes I want to make sure you know about. The first is episode 40, Finding Pro Bono Legal Counsel with Rachel Spears. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more about how your organization can get pro bono counsel, check out that episode. Quick pro tip, though. That 
episode is now only available at our website, Successful Nonprofits. Full disclosure, the audio quality is not great on that. And so we actually took the first 50 episodes off of our um, iTunes and Google Play stream because the audio quality is not great. But you can still download it from our website and you can still listen to it. And second, you know, we just talked about legal, but now let's talk about finance. Check out episode 172, Enlist Your Treasurer and Banker to Your Sustainability Team with Chad Wolver. Between the lawyers and the CPAs and the bankers, you will have a tight, well-run organization. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And at the end of every episode, I always remind you that I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And while both Rachel and Michelle are attorneys, this episode is for informational purposes only and is not designed to provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. You know, sometimes I even sort of speculate. I think it would be odd to go to a podcast for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you find yourself in need of that, please find a credentialed, qualified, local person and have a conversation with them. And if you are not sure who to reach out to, feel free to contact me. If I know someone in your area, I'm happy to make a referral.